On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. The Jericho Network on Westwood One. Welcome to One on One with Mitchell Fawn. Joining me on this episode from the band Dope, it is singer Etzel Dope. We talk about their new album, Blood Money Part One, lineup changes, current tour, and a lot more. Before checking that out, please check me out on Twitter at Mitch Lafon, M-I-T-C-H-L-A-F-O-N, one-on-one Mitch Lafon on Facebook, and paypal.me forward slash Mitch Lafon, should you care to support the podcast. And with that, here is the one, the only, Etzel Dope. We are speaking with Etzel Dope of the band Dope. Uh, Good day, sir. Pleasure to talk to you. Hey, man. How's it going? Good, good. So... You were in my town last night, Montreal. Unfortunately, I had a, a sick child at home, so I couldn't get out to the to the show. But uh, how was uh, that experience? Uh, you know, Montreal is good to us. Uh, we haven't been there in, in what seems like forever, um, probably 10 years. Uh, so we had a nice rowdy room full of uh, dope fans that had highly anticipated our return. We had technical problems last night that made the ship a little bit, uh, you know, kind of messed our flow up a little bit, but uh, those things happen. Um, but other than that, it was it was really good. The, you know, like I said, the fans were really warm and um, gave us a great response, so it was nice to come back after quite a while. Yeah, so, so let's talk about the band being back on the road and, and the new album. So let, let's start there. Blood Money Part 1. Um, talk to me about that and putting it together and sort of what sound are you trying to capture? Do you sort of just keep moving forward or do you look back and say, okay, this was our classic sound, let's go do that? No, man, I mean, you know, there's really, uh, really there's nothing different. Um, you know, we, we continue to do what we do and, and there's a there's a slight misconception with, with how long the band's been away and what the band's been doing. Um you know, this, this was a situation that, you know, from the band's inception back in 97, um, we got signed uh, in 98, started touring in 99, and, you know, literally for 10 or 12 years did nothing but tour nonstop and released album after album. So, um, you know, after the touring cycle of our album, No Regrets, um, I just needed a break is really what it came down to and, and needed to kind of reevaluate some things in my life and reprioritize some things because again, for 10 plus years, the band came first on everything, you know, touring holidays, you know, whatever it was, didn't matter. You know, the band came first and we toured nonstop. So, um, you know, for me as a, as, as somebody who, who went from, you know, young adulthood into adulthood, while doing it, um, I just needed to, to reprioritize and reevaluate. So, um, so I took some time to do that. Um, in that time frame, though, the band continued to play regional dates. We we're, you know, located in the Midwest. So we would still go out and do two week runs here and there and, um, go overseas and play shows and continue recording music on a regular basis. It's, it's not like we disbanded and just, uh, 
you know, stopped working under the, the banner of dope. Um, it just changed the way that, you know, I was going about things. Um, so the, you know, there's about a six year gap in between no regrets and, you know, the, the time that we were firming up blood money, part one, um, tons and tons of music written, same kind of process that the band had gone through in the past of writing music and preparing albums. The difference was the time frame in between, which is why ultimately we're looking at a multi-part album because these songs were all written during the same time frame and therefore to me uh, feel like they should be under the same banner um, of blood money. So, um, quite a long answer for you, but really, um, not a different process at all. And, uh, you know, getting back on the road again, it wasn't a matter of like, Oh God, how do we reassemble this? It's very simple because the band had continued to play dates and do what we do, um, you know, over the last several years, just hadn't put everything together to go out and do a full, you know, two month run in support of a new album. So there's just a lot more attention around what we're doing now than the things we've done in the last several years. As, as the band sort of slowed down, though, in those last several years, and you sort of reevaluated things, did, did you ever get to a point where you said, I just need to walk away and, and, and go do something else completely different? Or was it always, no, I'm just sort of slowing it down, we're, we're taking a breather, and the plan was always to come back strong, you know, as you're doing now? You know, um, I've always done things outside the band from the earliest onset. I, you know, I was one of those guys that was very early to the party of making music for TV and film and video games. And, you know, music has always been what I do. Um, the last several years, I, I did focus more because I wasn't on the road as much on that side of my business. I, you know, I did tons of music for the NFL and major league baseball and, um, did all kinds of really cool stuff. Um, I, you know, I, I think that I just didn't, I didn't care. I was like, you know, at some point I'll get back to doing what makes sense for dope and what makes sense for my life. And again, that really was what the, the whole process of reevaluating and reprioritizing was, was, was taking better care of myself and, and doing some things that enhanced my life and made me able to, you know, grow in a more healthy way spiritually emotionally psychologically as opposed to being the guy that my responsibilities every day are to go to a new town and drop a party on people and go to another town and drop a party on people um so you know during that time i i kind of didn't really matter to me it was like if you know at some point it makes sense to to put a full-length album out and do a full tour cool um when the when the timing's right that's why i didn't feel pressure when, you know, fans or, or the record label were like, wow, you know, it's been so long. When are you going to finally put this record out? When the time is right, when it feels right, when, when it doesn't feel forced, when it doesn't feel like there's pressure to do it from anybody but myself. Um, and then, you know, the stars kind of aligned and we went over to Russia to play some dates, which we've been doing about once a year for the last four years. And, um, it just so happened that, uh, you know, the band lineup has changed every album since the band's inception, too. So I have a, whenever I am going to go do some dates, I have a, a nice Rolodex of guys that, you know, I consider this band like a fraternity. They're like, 
my brothers that know the songs and we all get along and we're friends and they know, you know, they look the part, they act the part. So, um, so we were going over to Russia and I happened to, you know, give out my calls to people to see who was available and interested. Cause these guys are all busy and they have, you know, they've, they've continued with their careers and just so happened that the current lineup that we're touring with, which is uh, a lineup that we haven't done for quite some time were available. So we went over to Russia uh, together, which was a lot of fun. And we recorded a live album while we were over there, which again was a lot of fun and really sounded great and got the fans excited. And then we started talking about doing a tour and, and blood money wasn't even really finalized at that point. It wasn't until the tour was, was booked and I was like, all right, I'm, I'm going to do this. I feel good about this. I'm doing this for the right reasons. Now let me, finish up one of the blood money albums and put that out on the heels of this tour. And, uh, and we'll continue taking them step by step. Um, but again, really in the simplest terms for me, it was just about, um, you know, not continuing the same behavior pattern where I sacrifice myself, my happiness, everybody around me's happiness, my home life and everything to just feel this mission to constantly tour and promote the band and give everything I had to the band because um, that can become unhealthy. It can become one-dimensional, and, and that's what my life had become, and, and that is a, is a cycle that needed to change. And I think in, in retrospect, it's better for the band, too, because this tour has been highly successful, very well attended, and I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, people missed it. And people are excited to see it again. So, you know, maybe it's better that the band doesn't tour all the time and that it's more of an event when the band does tour and um, it keeps everybody excited and, and looking for something that's, uh, that's coming. And um, I think that, that so far it's working. And again, no pressure, um, just doing, uh, doing it because it feels right. Yeah, so, so let's, let's talk about some of that stuff because you, you've done this tour with some crowdfunding you you've mentioned working for uh you know in the movies and, and NFL. Was that part of the company called Evenix? Evenix? Um no well sort of. That was the that was the beginning of of it. Okay. Um but it it's it's transpired into an, a whole a different thing. I was the the uh director of music development and entertainment for a global marketing agency, uh, an omnicom agency called GMR Marketing. Um, like I've done so much that I don't really attach to the band. Um, okay. No, because, because they're, they're... The, the reason I ask is because, you know, I, I know a lot of guys do this. Uh, you know, Phil Lewis went off from LA guns, went off and did some stuff. The guys in warrant have this uh, production company. And, and the question was going to be, talk to me a little bit about sort of balancing, having sort of a full-time job where you got to, where you have these responsibilities and trying to get out on the road and, surviving in this sort of economy because it's hard to tour and it's hard to get albums out there and make a decent living and so um i guess talk to me about that you know why did we go the crowdfunding route for example for the tour well i don't know that we did to be honest with you um what we really did was we pre-sold a live album um crowdfunding is is in my opinion it's that is an, uh, that's when somebody doesn't have money to do something and they're they're use they're they're going to the fans to say if you 
if you participate, we will use the money to make an album. We'll use the money to go into a studio and what have you. And, and fortunately with Dope, you know, I've owned my own studio since 1999. Um, really, um, I, you know, crowdfunding didn't exist when our last album came out. Uh, bands didn't do meet and greets. Like none of this existed. So the business has changed so much in the six or seven years since I put out an album that um, I, uh, we went to Russia and recorded this live album and the label wasn't really interested in it. They said, live albums don't sell. People don't care about live albums. And I was like, well, I, I beg to differ. I think this live album is going to be really cool. And I think the fans are going to like it. And the fans keep asking for the tour. So I'm going to pre-order this live album that we're working on that we don't really need funding to create, but we're going to give people the opportunity to have their name in the liner notes and give them all kinds of cool perks. And if we do enough on this, we'll do this tour. Well, with all due respect, I knew the tour was happening. We were, you know, you, you can't do, you can't do a pre-order and halfway through it announce 65 dates if you're not in the process of booking those dates when you launch the pre-order. So we knew that this was all going to happen. Um, we just wanted to give the fans the ability to participate in it and to get involved and spread the word and have their name in the liner notes and, and those kinds of things. So, um, you know, um, so again, the crowdfunding word, it's kind of weird because it, it insinuates that you needed that in order to accomplish the goal, which wasn't the, the case for us. Um, but, um, but again, it certainly creates a, a team effort feel and it creates a, a sentiment that, um, you know, that, that, that everyone's working towards a cause, which we were, you know, everybody wanted us to go on tour and, and we wanted to do this tour. Um, but, you know, we still have a record label in E1 Entertainment that we've had for several years who has Black Label Society and Pop Evil. So that's who's putting out the Blood Money album. Um, you know, we remain in in a situation where, you know, the band, the band, though we are independent, we have the support structure around it because, you know, we've sold enough records in the past and have enough professionalism with it that we, we continue to operate uh, on a professional level. Um, but, uh, but, but to, to go deeper into, I think your question of, you know, how do you make ends meet? Um, again, it's really no different for me than it's always been because I've always had two, at least two forms of revenue from my music business. I've had the band and touring and t-shirts and everything that goes along with that. And then I've had my side music business where I'm doing music for, TV or film or sports or the WWE or, or whatever that is. And I've always been very aggressive at that side of the business as well. Um, has it gotten harder? Sure. Has it gotten more competitive? Sure. Um, do people devalue music more than ever and don't really want to pay for it? Yeah. But somehow I keep doing it. I don't know. I mean, again, I just, I haven't, this is what I know how to do and I've, got good relationships, I guess, but I've, it's just what I've always done. It, it really doesn't feel any different to me now than it did 10 years ago. Are are both sides of the business equally as, as rewarding for you in the sense that when you create a piece of music for WWE, are you still like, wow, I created something great, or is it like, eh, it's just for, for that, compared to making a song for the album? Are they, you know, 
the same or is one more like, okay, that's just business. And this one is where, okay, I get off on this. It's a song and, and the fans are, you know, creatively. Is yeah, it? they're, they're very, very different. And, and, but, but at the same time, rewarding in different ways, because when it comes to dope or to doing something more, I'll say as the artist, as the face of it, there's, there's a lot of ownership that goes into that. There's a personal, uh, you know, there's a, there's a level of personal satisfaction, but there's also a level of personal pressure where, like, this is my art. I'm going to be judged for it. You know, I'm putting my heart on the line. I, I'm sending a message that comes from me, and, and this is me. Like, you know, I'm putting my face out there. Whereas when you do something for these other entities, um, you know, there's one less level of creative or artistic freedom because typically they have a lot to say about how it ends um, and what the final product is. And then B, um, the good thing for me at least is that there is that lack of ownership to it. Like you don't, you don't feel the pressure of like, man, this is my face. This is me. This is, you're able to let it go a lot easier and go, yeah, that sounds really cool. I think we did a good job. Do you like it? Yeah, we love it. Okay, cool, man. You guys have a great day. We, we, we had a, a successful venture. Um, so it's just a different type of of uh, of reward, uh, both psychologically and uh, and emotionally. Yeah, that, that that's an interesting way to see it because when you do do a dope album and and sometimes you'll go online and you'll see that one kid who wrote, oh, I don't like that. That's got to be very frustrating to to you know you you put your heart and soul in it and then some 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 dude just goes ah, and that's got to be uh, well. Yeah, it, it, it's it, you know what it is for me. It's not frustrating if somebody doesn't like something that I do because it's art, and there is no right or wrong. Everything's opinion based, so everybody's entitled to their opinion. What annoys me is the lack of of attention span. The, you know, the people that that judge things so quickly based on thirty seconds of a listen, they feel like they they're experts and they're going to tell you you know, what it is and they want to reference what they want to compare it to. And it's like, dude, live with it for a week. And then you can give your shit-ass negative opinion or a positive opinion because we all know that first impressions are not always what stand, um, especially with music. Like how many times you hear a song on the radio and you're like, I don't know about that, but you hear it 10 more times, you've got to really like that song now. Um, so that that's a little bit annoying to me. Um, you know, we do live in the most narcissistic society that you could possibly live in now where everybody, you know, is, is, is the biggest critic and has the, you know, so much vibrato over, you know, their opinion of things and, you know, how many likes you get on Instagram dictates how popular you are, or how relevant you are. And, you know, people take pictures of what they eat and post it online because they think that, that they're so fucking important that the rest of the world gives a shit what they eat. And sadly, a lot of people do and participate in that. And it, it, it's, you're going to get me going down a different road. Now in the end of the day, it's very reflective of the society that we have. And even more so look at what's happening to our presidential race. You have a reality TV star that is very close to the White House right now, regardless of what you think of his of his politics one way or the other, the point is that he has used 
entertainment business tactics to capture the American people and take them on this ride that's very unpolitical and it's much more razzle dazzle show business. And it just shows you where we're at as a society and how, what we're susceptible to and what you can hypnotize us with. And when you have a guy that throws out catchphrases like, you know, crooked Hillary and lion Ted and low energy Jeb, it's like, wow, man, this guy came in and gave all the people he's running against negative nicknames. And is, is this, you know, again, this very panage, uh, uh, reality TV star guy that's that's hitting on the pulse of America's entertainment button and has turned the presidential debates and the presidential election into a show and a circus, which it's never been before. And mark my words, going forward, it'll never be the same again. It's almost like the movie Idiocracy. It's not quite there, but it's getting there. Um, so I don't know. It's just a weird world that we live in in general where everybody is, you know, is able to speak and, and have their voice so clearly heard uh, in an instant. And um, I don't know. It's, it's a weird time. Um, but again, I just do what I do. Sometimes I get slightly aggravated, but it's more over the ignorance than it is over the opinion. Right. And if somebody doesn't like it, that's cool. It's when they say something stupid that doesn't even make sense. Again, if you want to say, I don't like this band, fair enough. Thanks for listening. But if you want to say this song sucks, this is the, you know, I don't even know what you want. It's like that's not really accurate. You're kind of just being a douche. Um, so I, I don't know. It's uh, it's and, an interesting time. And I don't want to get in uh, into the whole political debate, but it isn't, because I'm Canadian, so I don't have any money on, on whether Clinton or, or Donald Trump wins, but isn't it a little bit what Ronald Reagan did? I mean, here was an actor that had sort of lines and sort of entertainment. Can you even say entertainment line? No, or turned it into entertainment too back in the 80s. It, to me, it seems that it's somewhat the same presentation. But anyway. Um, I mean, well, I think the only, the only parallel that you can draw is that they were both professional entertainers. But I don't feel as if uh, Ronald Reagan was was using the showbiz within the 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 strategy and the marketing right. other than hi I'm Ronald Reagan and I'm I, you know who I am because I'm an actor but um but I don't feel as if he was crossing lines uh in that way I mean and again we're we're in a society where things are so quickly um you know everything's so disposable all the information is so disposable you know, you, you, you have a Facebook feed and one day a candidate says the sky is blue and the next day they say the sky is purple, but it doesn't matter what he said yesterday. Even though you can easily go fact check, it doesn't matter what he said yesterday because today the sky is purple and that's what he must mean. Just the, 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 the non-accountability because the, there's so much information and so much misinformation. I mean, how many times do you scroll through Facebook and see something that is 100% um, uh, inaccurate and a, just a blatant lie, and it's just to get you to click on it so that it has an ad that pops up. Just there's just it's just a ridiculous world in that regard. It, it really is, and and I know we had 20 minutes and we've gone over that. So let me let me just finish with this uh, because you mentioned the lineups before. You you've changed lineups almost in a and correct me if I'm wrong, but almost in a sense to fit 
the sound of the album that you were making. You needed those people to make that album, and you need these people to make this album, uh, and <laughs> sort I, of, right? I, 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 not not no, really, okay. truthfully. Um, it's really just been about personalities and scheduling and just, you know, the, and yeah, I mean, really, that's it. Like, you can look at the first record and, you know, that record was me, myself, and I. And not to say it was a great record, but that record was, you know, one guy with a vision in New York, knew what I was doing. I assembled a bunch of dudes that, you know, were willing to come on and join my party and do my thing. I went on tour for two or three years with those guys, realized that, you know, a couple of them just kind of weren't kind of on the same page with what I wanted to do. So, you know, so we went separate ways. I got a couple new guys that I felt made a little bit more sense for where I was at and then made another record. And then, you know, through the course of that record, another guy, you know, I don't even remember what happened, but maybe they got, maybe they had a kid or whatever. And it just, you know, it really creatively I'll seek out what I need but when it comes to putting the band together um it's typically going to be based on availability and personality and clearly you have to be able to play right. but um but even like with this record blood money um you know I just kind of went and sought out who I need for what but at this point in the game because I've been doing it so long and because um it just makes it easier for me. There isn't even a lineup anymore. And it's, and, and that's the way I think it's going to be forever. Like, you know, a lot of that has to do with geogra ge geographical location. Like, you know, my guitarist virus, who's been with me for many, many years now, I can't count on him to do every tour that I want to do. He's playing with David Draymond and device. He's playing in Lords of acid. He's got his own bands. Like, so, so it wouldn't make sense for me to say he's the guitar player of dope always because then I'm hamstrung by his availability. I'm going to say that, like Nine Inch Nails is Trent Reznor, dope is Etzel Dope, and I have lots of guys that I can choose from to put a lineup together to either make records or go on tour, and it's always going to have the spirit of dope and feel like dope, and I'll always be surrounded by guys that put on a great show and, and have the integrity of the brand intact. But I can't always promise who that's going to be because we're all grown-ups with responsibilities, and I also can't allow those people's availabilities or, or, or their own personal quests to get in the way of when I want to work and when I you know, want to make records, when I want to tour. So that's, how, that's why I use the word fraternity, because there have been 20 guys at this point that I can choose from. I got at least three drummers on a regular basis that I can pick up the phone and call. I got at least, you know, five guitar players slash bass players that I can pick up the phone and call that the fans know who these guys are by face and by name. Um, and it just, it just works out better for me like that. And, uh, and, and through the years, it's just been an evolution of, of that. And, um, I think it works just fine. Yeah, and and, and the the media has dubbed this lineup with AC Virus and Racy as sort of the the classic lineup, the reunion lineup. Is that how you view it? Is this sort of the classic lineup? And and if so, what do they bring to Dope that makes it sort of the lineup? Well, I mean, it's a classic lineup, and let's let's also, with all due respect, like I dubbed it that media didn't dub it anything like i'm the one who put out the facebook post that said don't die motherfucker die reunion lineup featuring the core of the die mf die lineup which is myself racy ac and and virus 
Um, are there other classic lineups? Yeah, sure there are. There's Trip Eisen, you know, the original guitar player who went on to Static X, but who knows, maybe someday I'll play with him again. There's there's Angel from No Regrets and American Apathy. There's you know, there's 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 other guys that could create other classic lineups, but um this one it just happened that I was going to Russia and realized that these four guys had not played together in like twelve years. So it gave us a little sense of this sort of um, uh, nostalgic thing, even though me and Virus had played together many times in the last couple of years, me and me, AC and Racy just got back from the UK together. Um, but me, AC, Racy and Virus hadn't played together in quite a long time. So it was kind of making a special case out of just something that had somehow mathematically eluded us for years um, and truth be told, it is the core of the lineup that did the Die Motherfucker Die song, which is one of our more known, heavy, fun tracks. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's clearly a classic lineup of dope. Um, there are more classic lineups of dope. Um, and there are, are, are more lineups of dope that, that, um, that I feel like are, are fantastic. Um, so that's why at the same time, I'm not going to say that this lineup is going to be the lineup that happens next year. Again, I don't know. All these guys have other gigs. AC plays with the misfits and Joan Jett and the Blackhearts and, you know, Bracey has a business in Atlanta. So I don't know when, uh, these guys are all going to be available. It just worked out for this tour and we're going to celebrate this moment in time. And then, when Blood Money comes out in a couple weeks, uh, we're going to let the fans live with it for a little while, and then we'll see what happens in 2017 and, and what lineup and what tour. But I always feel 100% confident that whatever it is, uh, you know, like a football team, I'm going to field a great team that's going to go out there and support Dope and give the fans a great show. And I look forward to that. Um, do, you have, do you have a moment for one more question? Sure. I just want to ask you about the uh, the covers that you do and how you you choose them. People are people, Depeche Mode. You spin me right round, Rebel Yell. Um, you know they're 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 not metal songs. They're not uh, you know in a sense classic rock songs. You know they're not Kiss, Judas Priest. You're, you're sort of going outside of that to choose these. Um, how do you decide what to cover? Does it just sort of feel right? Is it? Uh, what's the process there? Well, it started with Fuck the Police. That was the first right. one that we did back in the day. And I think that one was, uh, was, was pretty obvious to me for many reasons. Um, I needed to, uh, you know, we were a band that, that back in the day started as um, very inspired by, by the, the NWA philosophy that you had a, a, a group of guys that wanted to make their dreams come true and Easy e had a, a, a underground drug dealing business, and that's how he funded the 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 build the build out of NWA. Well, we were very similar in the way that we were making our money in New York and building out our band. So, doing fuck the police made all the sense in the world. Um, the next one that we did was you spin me round, and that one was actually by accident. Um, we got called by the producers of the film American Psycho which was a really big book um, and a very cool book that they asked us if we wanted to be on the soundtrack with the cure and David Bowie. And we were like, well, of course I said, well, the catch is you got to do the song. You spin me around. And I was like, Ugh, all right, well, 
so we did our best with that one. Um, and then, uh, and, and that a lot of people connected to it and it, it worked for us as silly as it is. Um, and then I believe rebel yell and people are people came, came around the same time. And those just felt good to me for different reasons. Rebel yell, I feel like is the best cover we've ever done. Um, and now on this new record, um, I did a cover as well, but now I've gone into the nineties and picked a cover. And there's also, uh, we did a cover a while back for a song called high from a band called Jimmy chicken shack. Um, and I don't know, covers are just a cool way to kind of round out an album. Again, much like we were talking about earlier with doing music for other brands, um, just feeling the freedom and, and the, you know, not having the pressure of having to write it, but just being able to give your interpretation of a song that you liked or that you thought would fit the, the branding of dope or, or what have you. Uh, it was just a, it's just a cool thing to do that, I intend to do for, for years to come. Yeah, and they, they turned out great. Etzel, a great pleasure, and uh, thank you. Thank you, man. I appreciate your time. Sorry we missed each other yesterday. No worries, and hopefully we'll do this again soon. All right, buddy. Appreciate it. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. And there you have it, folks. My interview with a dope singer, Etzel Dope. The new album is Blood Money Part 1. Do check that out. While checking stuff out, please check me out on Twitter, at Mitch Lafon, M-I-T-C-H-L-A-F-O-N. One-on-one Mitch LaFon on Facebook and paypal.me forward slash Mitch LaFon should you care to support the podcast. And with that, I bid you a fond farewell. Bye for now. Oh my.